Amen. Amen. Turn around and say hello to someone, then be seated. All right. Good to have you out tonight. And we'd like to welcome our live stream. We're up and running. Is that correct? Are we good? We're up and running. Now, this morning, we sent out a text to inform folks that the equipment was deficient. See, all of our workers are first class. And all of the, the human element is perfect around here. We don't ever make a mistake, do we, folks? All right. So everything was good except for the equipment was deficient. And so we got some replacements this afternoon. And uh, in order to do that, our people had to skip their regular good meal and they had to eat some other place, I guess. But uh, they were able to stick around and get it fixed. And if you appreciate our IT people here, let's give them a hand. God bless all our IT people. And all of you who are out there, and I, I had the one uh, lady, former member of our church, still a part of our church, but by distance, all the way from Florida, send me a text, a personal text, and say, something's messed up mechanically at your end of it. And, and I sent her the link so she knows what was messed up. I said, it's not me, it's, and I mentioned the organization. Don't want to mention any, any names specifically, but you know, um, I'm glad that nobody here was to blame. So praise the Lord for that. So we're, we're coming to you live. We're broadcasting now. Some folks will tune in later on. Isn't it good to have this outreach? And I know that it might be, some people might use it as an excuse, able-bodied folks to stay home who could possibly be here. But you know what? That empties it out and, and makes room for all those that we're going to go out and win one by one. Amen. So pretty soon we'll have a full crowd out there and a full crowd in here. And that's all good, and we're just going to leave the results to God. I do want to mention, in addition to our special prayer requests, we had so many of them this morning, people who are sick and people that are on the mend and people who have loved ones who passed. And, and all of this, of course, is very challenging. It's a challenging time in which we find ourselves. But Pastor Harps normally sits right down here with his wife, Valeria. Uh, Pastor Harps took two falls this week, two sets of falls, as a result, has some broken bones and is in the hospital recuperating. And so uh, our prayers and our voice goes out to him. And we're trusting that maybe somehow he's viewing tonight or will be viewing uh, as he is able. But he's in the hospital. And how many of you, when you think of it, will remember to pray for Pastor Harps and for his recuperation? He's just a young man, 90 years old. And um, we, uh, we pray for his healing as well. This morning we offered to everybody a copy of our bulletin and you can go online you that are out there and tap on to get one that's a digital copy and it will help you to know what's going on around here likewise we uh, we talked about the sword of the Lord and the great legacy of the sword of the Lord Dr. John Rice then Curtis Hudson and now Shelton Smith all these men are friends in the faith and we have uh, these subscriptions and for $20, write your check to the Sword of the Lord, not to our church, and put your own stamp on there and mail it in. We've got these copies down here. We're going to continue that through the entire month. And I want everybody to subscribe. At least one subscription per household. Get the Sword of the Lord. They now have it in Espanol, I believe, La Espada. And um, so praise the Lord. And I don't know where that comes out of, but uh, is it Los Angeles? I think it's California. La Espada. So um, we are... We are all for the sword of the Lord because it's got three old-time messages by, by great preachers. Here's one by Sam Morris. He used to preach down south. He used to preach the paint off the wall. 
Dr. John Linton, very, very scholarly man, but a good preacher. Evangelist Bill Rice of the Bill Rice Ranch. I was out there a few years ago uh, for the, the burial service that I preached for Ron Zawatko, who was a soul winner and an assistant to Dr. Rice for a number of years. But we have three messages, and then you have a ladies' thing, and a man's thing, and a teen thing, and, and bus thing, and soul winning thing, and, and all kinds of news and views in light of the scriptures. You need to get that. If you haven't got a copy, we'll get you one. Praise the Lord, all right? And let's not forget to be praying for one another in these uh, challenging days. I'm glad you've come tonight. Don't forget, all month is missions. Last week of the month is our 58th anniversary, the 31st. Everybody wants to bring somebody else, right? Everybody needs to bring several others. Let's fill a row, amen? Let's do what we possibly can uh, to make our 58th anniversary a big one on the 31st of October. And then in November, we have our Thanksgiving family dinner on November the 20th, be sure to sign up for that. All right. We sang, Win Them One by One. It's amazing to me that this song isn't better known than it is. Now, we sing it around here. But a lot of folks out there have never heard of it before. See Austin Miles. Uh, you would say he was at least a part-time songwriter. He wrote 552 songs in his lifetime. All of them kind of like this one. The caliber, He's, his life bridged the end of the 1800s into the beginning of the, of the 1900s. And uh, he left us a great, great uh, catalog of songs. Win them one by one. And that's what Jesus Christ did. Tonight I'm speaking to you from the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John. I'd like everybody to take a moment and turn there, find your your way there, if you would, please. John's Gospel, the 15th chapter. Jesus is on His way to the Garden of Gethsemane, and along the way, they passed a very ornate gate. And that gate was similar to what we would have in a wrought iron gate. And it had, in its decoration, vines branches, and fruit. That's uh, what Jesus used. Jesus was a great preacher, a great teacher, a great illustrator. He used what he had at hand. So Ed, if he was standing by the sea, he talked about the water and the sea. And if he was standing by the fields, he was talking about the fields. And if he was standing by a gate, he was talking about what the ornate uh, wrought iron work was illustrating. He would talk about that and he would make uh, an allusion to that and teach spiritual truth. Even from the cross, he was quoting the 22nd Psalm. He knew his Bible and he knew how to apply his Bible. This is very important. It's important that we believe every word of this book. The King James Bible is the inspired and preserved word of God for the English speaking world. And I believe every word of it. How about you? I believe it's preserved. I believe it's without error, and God helping us, we're going to try to live by it. We say that so frequently. Uh, I hope it doesn't become a ritual, but I hope it is a reality. Ritual, no. Reality, yes. Amen. Good preaching, preacher. We're in the 15th chapter. You've all had time to find If you haven't found it by now, I don't think you ever will. 15th chapter, the Gospel of John, 
And Jesus is speaking, all you're writing here is in red, if you've got the words of Jesus in red. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now, the first two words, I am, is once again a claim of deity. This is the structure that is reserved for God Himself. I am that I am. I am the true vine. He's speaking of Himself as being the, the main trunk of this fruit-bearing, growing thing. And my Father is the husbandman. That's a fancy way of saying my spiritual Father in heaven is the one who takes care of the vine dressing or the uh, pruning, the caring for the growing thing in this, this garden of life. Every branch in me. So we are the branches, all right? So He's the true vine. We who believe on Him, we're the branches. Every branch in me, that's important, in me. I don't know if you've seen that before. The branch has to be in Him, not in an organization, not in a creed, but in the Christ. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, He taketh away. He prunes it away. And every branch that beareth fruit, He purgeth or prunes it, cuts it back, that it may bring forth what? More fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. The Bible is the word of God. And so when we read it, it has a washing or a cleansing effect. It cleanses us from the inside out. The more we read it, we ought to read it for volume along with reading it specifically for a systematic study because the more we read it, the cleaner we're going to be. I believe that. So you ought to read sometimes for volume, understanding of course, but read it for volume. And then sometimes you ought to just take a phrase at a time and tear it apart and put it back together, cross-reference all the places we've got I am, all the places where we've got growing things and growing in grace, all of those things. And uh, uh, in me, in Christ, go cross-reference all of that, write that in. Bearing fruit, uh, that's, that's what we're doing. We're not just working, we're bearing fruit. We're producing something. Think about the tree that's planted by the river of water down in Psalm 1 and so forth. And what we read uh, recently in Jeremiah as well. And the purpose is to bear fruit. We, in our branch identity, are to be in Christ so that life flow is going through us and we bear fruit. The fruit that we bear is reproducing fruit so that an apple tree bears apples. An orange tree bears oranges. A pear tree bears pears. The same thing. There is an, an alikeness of bearing. So a Christian tree should bear Christians. Thank you. Christian trees should bear Christians. We should do that. You say, now what about the fruit of the Spirit? That's different from the fruit of the Christian. The fruit of the Spirit is what the Holy Spirit inside of us produces. The fruit of the Christian is what the branch produces as we are in Christ. There is a difference. All right? The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and they and he that winneth souls is wise. 
wisdom of soul winning, the wisdom of bearing fruit. It's very important. All right, so we're clean through the word. And then it says in verse 4, here's the in me again. Abide in me. So we've got a branch in me. Abide in me and I in you. So it's mutual. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. When I think of this word abide, I'm thinking on a practical level that it means to be connected and, and not, not restricted or pinched off or, or uh, cut off or clogged up or whatever. There is a free flow there. I am the vine, Jesus says. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. So we've got fruit at the beginning of verse 2, more fruit at the end of verse 2. Now we have much fruit in verse number 5. For without me ye can do how much? Nothing. Goose egg. Zero. Not, nothing. Nothing. Without him. Now you say, wait a minute. Uh, I, can, uh, I can be successful. I can do things. I can accomplish things even when I'm not abiding in the Lord. People who are outside of the will of God, who are not abiding in Him, according to this scripture, may do things and may produce things, but they will not be of eternal value and consequence. They will not last. It will be like building a business. After you die, it's gone. It gets subdivided, gets you know taken away by death taxes or whatever. People... You kind of fritter it away. That's, that's what will happen. Whatever we do that's not in Him and He in us, anything that's apart from that is not going to be of eternal consequences. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Now there have been those who have falsely uh, said that this means they go to hell. But there's nothing about hell in what Jesus is teaching here. He's not talking about hell. He's talking about that's, that's the end of your influence. That's the end of your opportunities. That's the end of what could have been but won't ever be. And there are some people that have had this happen to them. And if they have any time left in their life, they just they bemoan the fact that they squandered opportunities they didn't do what God wanted them to do when God wanted them to do it. So th their life was out of balance and, uh, and off kilter. And when they come to the end of their life, they may have built a business. They may have acquired wealth. They may have done things that are memorable and monuments may be built to them, but nothing for eternity. Zero. On the other hand, a person who is virtually unknown, let's say a man or a woman, perhaps single or, or perhaps a widow or a widower or somebody who may not be very uh, overt and, and out front and, and prominent in the church, may have a prayer life and a witnessing life that they take the opportunity to witness and they do so faithfully. And when they come to the end and when they come to the, to the, uh, the judgment the beam of judgment, they will have gold, silver, and precious stones. The fire will reveal it someday. We don't see it now. It will be revealed someday. That sticks out. When I read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 
I read those words, the fire will be revealing it. It's not revealed prior to that. A lot of people will look at, say, a preacher or an evangelist or missionary and automatically, and I'm not putting preachers and evangelists and missionaries down, but they'll figure automatically, look at all the souls that have been saved. Look at all the work that's been done. I believe there'll be some, some folks from the local church that are almost anonymous who at that judgment will have more gold, silver, and precious stones representing rewards to cast at Jesus' feet than many evangelists and preachers and missionaries. Why? Because God does not necessarily reveal everything here and now. You're not seeing it, and you you don't have to have a PR organization to represent you to other people. People don't need to know how many we've spoken to. When we testify... We ought to rejoice in the good things that God does and give Him the credit. But we shouldn't stand up saying, I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I did that. There's too much I in that. It's an I problem. All right. So, verse 7, If ye abide in me, my words abide in you. So the Word of God, underline that. Think about that. His words abiding in us. That means that we've got God's Word in our life, and as a result, we're living a word driven, word-motivated life. Ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. What is that about? Look at me. What is that talk? What aspect of the Christian life is that talking about? That's talking about our what? Our prayer life. Think about it. You want to get your prayers answered? Then you need God's Word to abide in you, and you in God's Word. Amen. Herein is my Father glorified. How many times have we heard very sanctimonious teaching by those who don't win souls, who say soul winning is not the most important thing. The most important thing is to glorify God. But that's contradictory because this says, here it is, herein is my Father glorified that ye what? Bear much fruit. So it's not getting numbers, but it's, it's genuinely legitimately, authentically reaching folks with the saving gospel of Jesus Christ, giving all the glory to God so that at the judgment, at the judgment, we won't have a loss of rewards because of pride or some other thing, false uh, motivation that wasn't godly. All right, so he wants us to bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. So the key to truly following Jesus, who was a fruitful example for us is for us to bear much fruit. To get from fruit to more fruit to much fruit, what do we have to do? We have to abide in Him. He has to abide in us. We've got to be in the Word. The Word's got to be in us. Are you listening? We've got to take the pruning, the purging that comes our way. What is purging? It can be in just about any form. Anything that can happen probably in this life to a lost person can probably also happen to a saved person. I'm not, I'm not talking about it being punishment. I'm talking about it being purging. The purging is for the, the overall benefit of our service for God. And so here's a person who is on a bed of affliction, sicker than anybody you know, in worse shape, and just seems like everything is turning against them and going wrong. Why would God allow that to happen? Well, some people might be like Job's friends and say, look at that person. They must have really sinned. They must have done something really bad. 
wrong. And see, the, the, the really confused professing Christian will say, oh, that's karma. You know, they, they got Hinduism messed up with their Christianity. But that's not it. In many cases, that person on that bed of affliction is there for none of those reasons. That person is there for pruning. And God is pruning that person so that, so that from that bed, they can be a witness, they can be a prayer warrior, or they can be the object of our prayers and keep our edge sharp. There's a reason for everything, and it will make sense. When we get to heaven, we are not going to be confused about this. You, you talk to Christians, and it seems like they're not clear. How many times do you talk to a Christian, they say, well, this happened. I wasn't sure if that was the Lord or that was the devil. Why don't you pray on it? Why don't you get into the Word of God? And why don't you, why don't you wait till the Lord reveals that to you? But why are you, why are you burning, you know, uh, good tread on a subject that you don't have the answer to? I just wonder if that's God or if that's the devil. Are you right with God? Are you in the Word? Are you praying? Are you on praying ground? And leave it with the Lord. Don't worry about it. We've got some wonderful biblical insulation that the Lord provides for us. All right. So shall you be my disciples. There's a lot said about disciples. Do you know you only find discipleship really in the Gospels a little bit thereafter, but other principles that go along with Christian growth and service. But the word discipleship is, is, is mostly contained in the Gospels. And Jesus... At the, at the inception of the local church, wanted us to get this right. That as we are saved, we're automatically enlisted in the Lord's army. So we automatically uh, become uh, potential disciples. But we have to follow in His footsteps. We have to walk with Jesus. We have to listen to Him. This is something we have to learn. We can't lead until we've learned to follow. We can't do anything that will be remembered as some act of great uh, sacrifice or a great uh, role model for somebody else until we have learned to take those baby steps and we're following Jesus. So where are you in your journey? Are you a disciple? There it is. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. You recall back in the 14th chapter, Jesus is talking about God, talking about the Father. And, and what do they show us the Father? And Jesus says, have I been so long with you? He's been three years with them. Have I been so long with you? Don't you realize that when you're seeing me, you're seeing God in a body? Do you see the demonstration of, of how love it? Love is not just this sugary emotional, you know, wave cresting up and down and up and down. Some of the most confused people I know are Christians who say, well, I, I just, I couldn't do this biblical thing because I, I just love this person so much I couldn't apply the scripture to that person's life. What? Love is desiring God's best for them. So sometimes you got to speak the truth in love, right, Ed? How many times have you had to tell somebody who was trying to run a game on you or rip you off? You know how the guys are inside. And how many times do you have to say, no, we're not going to go that direction? And you got to say, no. And it, it's hard, isn't it? I mean, the flesh wants to, to 
this poor guy, he's been locked up for X number of years. He's done several terms in, inside and, and uh, he wants this to be done. And I can't do that because that would, be, that would not be true love. That would not be biblical love. Biblical love is doing what's best. Oftentimes it hurts us. It's sacrificial. Speaking the truth in love is very difficult. I've heard parents say, I just love little Johnny, little Susie so much I couldn't discipline them. If you couldn't discipline them, you didn't love them. You're disciplining me, and, and it really does hurt when you have to discipline. But I don't want to get off on that right now. This is important for us to see. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Jesus Christ loved in the same way that God the Father loved. He did so in that human form so that people could see it uh, as it was modeled for them. When we show love, we need to model it so other people can follow it and do it. Don't, don't speak in ethereal you know, uh, tones that people will say, Oh, he, just, he speaks in such loving words and such loving tones. No, tell them the truth. Tell them, tell them it in a loving manner, but tell it to them straight. And I know that sometimes you've got to work up to it with some people because they can't handle it. Now, moving on. We love people. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. Just like we're abiding in Christ, we abide in love. So that's desiring the best, all right? Abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So what did Jesus do the entire time He was here? He didn't get off point. He stayed right on track. We can't say that. We have all gotten off track at some time in our life. But Jesus Christ was always right on track. He was always fixed on the goal. Fixed on the goal. That's what you've got to do. Do you ever plow a field? Not too many people here have plowed with a plow behind a beast of burden. But if you've plowed, you know how it's done. If you've been driving a tractor, you know how it's done. You find a spot at the other end of the field and you keep your eye on it and you just aim for that spot. If you don't do that, you got all going to have corn all over the place. You're going to have you're going to have things growing up every which way. It's going to be hard for you to to deal with that field. So, it's the same thing in our journey. We have to keep our eye on the goal. And that's what Jesus Christ did as our role model. These things have I spoken to you that my joy may remain in you. There it is. And that your joy might be full. Two kinds of joy there. Everybody out there, put it down. Two kinds of joy. His joy, my, my joy. Sometimes I, my joy level runs low. His joy fills and tops it off. And the way we can function, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord keeps us going. What ultimately, on a practical level, if I'm going to do as I have told you that I was trained to do by my dad, and as we have done these 50 years plus in ministry, putting one foot in front of the other, you've got to be uh, empowered and you've got to have some resource to draw from, and that's joy. It's the joy that we have in Jesus and the joy that's given to us and it tops off and we're able to continue on, even when it's difficult or challenging. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is a higher level, isn't it? You know, we, we love people because, but we should love people in spite of. 
And that's what Jesus does with you and me. He loves me in spite of myself. He loves me in spite of my failures, my sin. And that's the way we need to love others as well. Desiring the best for them. Now there are some times when love is best expressed by saying no. Look at me. Sometimes love is best expressed by saying no. Sometimes God has loved me best by telling me no. You're not going that way. You're not going to get that thing. You're not going to have that thing. David wanted to build the temple. God said what? No. Did God love David? Yes. But God had other plans. So David got to help his son put some things together before he made his departure, his exit. And then Solomon built the temple. That's it. You don't always get what you want. There are some things that you desire. Did Moses get to go into the promised land? No. He was impetuous. He struck the rock the second time. He was supposed to speak to the rock. He destroyed the symbolism of our prayer life with the Lord. And so God said, you can look, you can see, but you can't go in. Does that mean that God didn't love Moses? No. Moses was greatly loved by God. But God said what? God said, no. We can go down the line. Many, many cases in which God said, no, no. Learn this. We're learning it tonight, all right? So, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. That's a high standard. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. Jesus did that. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command. The whatsoever is the key. Not what we select. Obedience to the will of God is not a smorgasbord. How many of you like to go to smorgasbords, to buffets? Yeah. Okay. When you go, do you have special things you like to go to first? Yeah, man, you like to get that pile of shrimp. Ron Zawatko, I just mentioned him, uh, buried out at the Bill Rice Ranch. When he was here <laughs> one of the last times with us, he had gout. And when you have gout, you're not supposed to eat oysters. And so we went over here to the, uh, whatever that is, the hibachi. And they have oysters and shrimp. And he piled on every kind of seafood you're not supposed to eat. I don't know if he walked after that. But I think we probably had to carry him out of there. But uh, uh, self-discipline in the area of buffet was not... Uh, was not his long suit. He, he used to, Brother Beebe used to say that uh, his favorite verse in the Bible was where Paul said, I buffet myself. And uh, some of you don't even get that because you have not, not read your Bible. <laughs> Buff it. But anyway, that's another story for another time. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. So he's bringing them into an inner circle. He's advising them. He is speaking to them like close intimates at this point. Now we come to verse 16. Ye have not chosen me. He initiates it. But I have chosen you and ordained you. He's put his hand on us. He said, you're the one. He's, 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 uh, he's directed us that ye should go and bring forth fruit, that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. There it is. Once again, the prayer life being effective, getting answers to prayer. 
Now, I've read all of this knowing that I would have to read all the way through before I actually give you the crux of the message. Tonight, I'm speaking on how to keep your converts. I'm not speaking as an expert. I'm speaking as one who knows how to read his Bible. And I understand that it is God's perfect will for those who are genuinely saved to grow in grace, to get out of the diaper stage, out of the toddlers, preschool, kindergarten, elementary, you know, secondary school level, and become experienced and uh, mature servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead of uh, just sucking our thumbs and crying and having to be changed all the time and fed, diapered and fed, diapered and fed, so many churches across America, so many ministries might be, you know, a mile wide and an inch deep. And they've got lots of people who have professed Christ and God only knows if they're saved because I don't keep the Lamb's book of life. God does that. And I'll just have to take a person's word for it. But a lot of folks are not showing much, if any, development in their Christian growth because uh, they just are satisfied to occupy a place where everything will be done for them. They're used to getting their way. And if they don't get their way, they whine and they cry. And you know how to, how to get a parent's attention, whine and cry. And that's what they'll do. So that an inordinate amount of time is spent in many, many churches where people refuse to get into the Word of God and grow so that the pastor and the leadership has to spend so much time in diapering and in feeding the spiritual infants that could be used in greater growth and, and greater expansion for the glory of God. It's a shame. It doesn't have to be that way. Don't have to stumble and fall and stumble and fall and stumble and fall with frequency. There can be growth in grace and growth in grace and growth in grace. I have seen some people who have grown phenomenally in their spiritual life. And they all had one thing in common. They developed an intense love and hunger for the Word of God. A love and a hunger for the Word of God. If I am guilty of not developing that love and hunger in you, I am so sorry. I am so apologetic and I repent of it. But please, let's change that right now. Let's get into the Word of God. Let's love it. Let's devour it. And when you devour it, you're going to grow. And you're going to develop. There it is. I talked this morning about the candle and how people have the wrong idea. The Bible says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Hudson Taylor was the resource, the, uh, the one that this illustration uh, took place in, in his ministry. Hudson Taylor told of a Chinese pastor who always instructed new converts to witness as soon as possible. Once upon meeting a young convert, the pastor inquired, Brother, how long have you been saved? The man answered that he had been saved for about three months. And how many have you won to Christ? Oh, I'm only a learner, the convert responded, a disciple. Shaking his head in disapproval, the pastor said, Young man, the Lord doesn't expect you to be a full-fledged preacher, but He does expect you to be a faithful witness. Tell me, when does the candle begin to shine? When it's already half burned up? No, as soon as it's lit, came the reply. 
That's right, so let your light shine right away. That's it. If we want folks to grow in grace, we need to get them out on visitation one-on-one, at least as a prayer warrior to begin with. I'm saying, everybody, stop making excuses. I don't know what you're doing Saturdays, but block out an hour or two. I don't know what you're doing between times, but block out some time and be a witness and talk to people about Jesus and, and get some literature out and don't stop. Let your light shine. If we want to be a disciple, we're never going to get off of square one unless we have a desire to share. You say, well, I don't know what to say. I remember the big old fellow down in Alabama that I took visiting with me one night. He was a, he was a big burly guy, truck driver. He knew how to do all the mechanicing on the big rig. And he went with me and we were going from place to place and we stopped at a place where a guy was under the hood of, of his pickup truck and he was working on it. And I began to witness and the guy was not paying me much attention at all. I'm, I'm saying he was just not interested. He was working on stuff. And I understand he was working. And the light bulb was standing there. And it was just about dusk. And, uh, and he was, I could tell, he was not taking any of it in. Finally, my soul winning partner could not handle anymore. And he slammed his hand down on the fender. Got the man's attention. He looked up. He said, I want to tell you something. Put his finger right in his chest. I want to tell you something. And he said, two years ago, I was just like you. I was lost and on my way to hell. But somebody came around like this preacher and decided to tell me about Jesus. Now you ought to at least have enough respect to listen to what the preacher has to say. Guess what? He listened after that. And as I recall, the man responded. And we got a profession of faith. And I, I guess, I mean, he didn't want to die, so he did something. And I'm not sure if he really got saved or not, but that got his attention. And here's my point. My point is this. Soon after a person's saved, they ought to have a desire for others to be saved. When we first had a desire to go out and get all those buses out there at that auction, the one and only last auction that they had out here at Prince William County Schools, we went out and we came back with, what, 11 buses. Wife said, why did you get 11? I said, we couldn't afford 12. But uh, we came back with 11 buses. And some of them actually ran and some of them we gave to other people, but... Uh, praise the Lord for that. But I use the, the illustration of Lee Durkin. Lee Durkin was a cigar-sucking, excuse me, converted Roman Catholic who worked on our buses back in Wisconsin years ago. He was a truck driver. And he'd be working under those buses and he'd have that cigar going. The smoke would be billowing up. And I'd come around once I'd say, Hey, Lee, how are you doing today? And, I, <laughs> and he'd try to, you know, how people try to do, cover up the smoke. And I didn't, you know, I never gave people the idea, and I don't want to give anyone the idea that because you smoke that you're going to hell. That's not true. You just, you might smell like you've been there and back, but I mean, you're not going to hell. And, uh, but he had such a heart for kids. Lee worked on those buses. Now I remember they moved away, moved to the, to the East Coast, somewhere up Rhode Island or New Jersey someplace. Got a phone call one night, years later, his wife calling, saying, Lee's in the hospital. He was working on the rig and fell off and injured his back. And when they took him in and took some, some uh, x-rays and they examined him, they discovered that he had cancer all through his body. 
So he was on his deathbed. I called him in his hospital room. I said, Haley, Haley, and this illustration I, I gave now, what, 18 years ago. I said, Lee, anything you want me to tell the people? He said, keep on running the buses. Keep on winning the kids to Jesus. Don't stop. So a dying man on his bed just said what I would have done anyway. But that encourages me. Won't ever stop running the buses. Won't ever stop winning souls if we have an opportunity. We have been chosen, as it says in verse 16. Chosen by purpose and design of God to go and bring forth fruit. There it is. Quality, quantity, all of those things. I don't have time to get into it. How do you keep your converts? You get them to follow the same program that we see here. To be fruitful, we've got to bear fruit, more fruit, much fruit. Take the purging. Understand why the purging is coming. Get in the Word of God till the Word of God gets in us. Abide in Christ. Don't, don't get out here and do things our own way. We're chosen for soul winning. We're set apart for soul winning. We must go soul winning as we heard this morning. We are to be fruitful. And we're to keep on until God begins to give us that fruit. If we're abiding in Jesus Christ, my Bible says we will bear fruit. And when we bear fruit, we're going to be purged. So don't stop. The devil will say, see, you shouldn't have won souls because you're, now you've got all these problems. You've got all these challenges. If you haven't, if you've just been living a worldly Christian life while you've had all the benefit all this time and all this money and all these other opportunities, and that's a lie out of the pit of hell. Not only is it from the devil, it's going to send a bunch of people to the devil. Our converts are to remain. That's God's will. We need to start praying what it says here in the 15th chapter. Now, Lord, you said that you want our fruit to remain. You've ordained that we would bring forth fruit and that fruit should remain. You want it to remain. So, Lord, I pray for, for John. I pray for Susie. I pray for Mary. I pray for Bob. I pray for all those that you've given me the privilege to lead to you, Lord. Write down their names. Pray for them. Go back and drip on them. We give up on people that for no other reason, maybe they're just being themselves and not growing. And we give up on them. Don't stop praying for them. And as long as they've got the right spirit, the right attitude, they're not splitting the church, they're not causing a problem, bring them in. Bring them in. We want our prayers to be answered. And in turn, if we're doing what's in this passage of Scripture, my Bible says, if we do that, whatsoever shall ask of the Father in my name, He may give it you. We're so lined up with His purposes that Jesus went ahead and said, whatever you ask, whatever you ask. You say, wow, I'll ask for a big car. I'll ask for a big raise. I'll ask for a big house. No, you're not lined up with the Lord. That's why what you're asking isn't going to come back to you. But if you're lined up with the Lord, you're going to get what you ask for because your purposes and your designs are going to be the same as the Lord's Himself. Take the time that you need to, to pray and to get into the Word and to spend time with the Lord so that the roots go deep and then help people as they are saved to realize the blessings of doing the same thing.
Be a role model. Sometimes we just tell folks what to do and we don't show them what to do. And we need to do that. And tonight, I trust that you'd like to fulfill what's in that chapter. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And how many of you tonight say, Preacher, God's Spirit spoke to my heart in the message. Slip your hand up high. God spoke to me. Amen. Amen. We need to be out there bearing fruit and helping our converts to likewise bear fruit and keep this thing going. If you don't know for sure that heaven is your home for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want to urge you tonight to call on the name of the Lord and be saved for whosoever, whosoever, anybody right now, if you call on the name of the Lord, pray something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. 